section five of heroines of fiction by william dean howells this librivox recording is in the public domain book one chapter five jane austen's anne elliot and catherine morland that protest already noted that revolt against the arrogance of rank which makes itself felt more or less in all the novels of jane austen might have been something that she inhaled with the stormy air of the time and respired again with the unconsciousness of breathing but whether she knew it or not this quiet little woman who wrote her novels in the bosom of her clerical family who was herself so contentedly of the established english order who believed in inequality and its implications as of divine ordinance who loved the delights of fine society and rejoiced as few girls have in balls and parties was in her way asserting the rights of man as unmistakably as the french revolutionists whose volcanic activity was of about the same compass of time as her literary industry in her books the snob not yet named or classified is fully ascertained for the first time lady catherine de burgh in pride and prejudice john dashwood in sense and sensibility mr elton in emma general tilney in northanger abbey and above all sir walter elliot in persuasion are immortal types of insolence or meanness which foreshadow the kindred shapes of thackeray's vaster snob world and fix the date when they began to be recognized and detested but their recognition and detestation were only an incident of the larger circumstance studied in the different stories and in persuasion the snobbishness of sir walter has little to do with the fortunes of his daughter anne after the first unhappy moment of her broken engagement one people will prefer anne elliot to elizabeth bennet according as they enjoy a gentle sufferance in women more than a lively rebellion and it would not be profitable to try converting the worshippers of the one to the cult of the other but without offence to either following it may be maintained that persuasion is imagined with as great novelty and daring as pride and prejudice and that anne is as genuinely a heroine as elizabeth in persuasion jane austen made bold to take the case of a girl neither weak nor ambitious who lets the doubts and dislikes of her family and friends prevail with her and gives up the man she loves because they think him beneath her in family and fortune she yields because she is gentle and diffident of herself and her indignant lover resents and despises her submission if he does not despise her he is a young officer of the navy rising to prominence in the service which was then giving england the supremacy of the seas but he is not thought the equal of a daughter of such a baronet as sir walter elliot it is quite possible that in her portrayal of the odious situation jane austen 
avenges with personal satisfaction the new order against the old for her brothers were of the navy and the family hope and pride of the austins were bound up with its glories at any rate when sir walter's debts oblige him to let kellynch hall and live on a simple scale in bath it is a newly made admiral who becomes his tenant and it is the brother of the admiral's wife who is anne's rejected lover and who now comes to visit his sister full of victory and prize money with the avowed purpose of marrying and settling in life seven years have passed since frederick wentworth angrily parted with anne elliot they have never really ceased to love each other but the effect has been very different with the active successful man and the quiet dispirited girl no longer in her first youth she devotes herself to a little round of duties principally in the family of her foolish peevish younger sister and finds her chief consolation in the friendship of the woman who so conscientiously urged her to her great mistake the lovers meet in the musgrove family into which anne's sister has married and wentworth's fancy seems taken with one of the pretty daughters divers transparent devices are then employed rather to pique the reader's interest than to persuade him that the end is going to be other than what it must be nothing can be quite said to determine it among the things that happen wentworth and anne simply live back into the mutual recognition of their love he learns to know better her lovely and unselfish nature and so far from having formally to forgive her he prizes her the more for the very qualities which made their unhappiness possible for her part she is merely to own again the affection which has been a dull ache in her heart for seven years her father's pride is reconciled to her marriage which is now with a somebody instead of the nobody captain wentworth once was sir walter was much struck with his personal claims and felt that his superiority of appearance might not be unfairly balanced against her superiority of rank he was now esteemed quite worthy to address the daughter of a foolish spendthrift baronet who had not principle or sense enough to maintain himself in the situation in which providence had placed him as for anne's mischievous well-meaning friend who had urged her to break with wentworth before there was nothing less for lady russell to do than to admit that she had been completely wrong and to take up a new set of opinions and hopes two this outline of the story gives no just sense of its quality which resides mainly in its constancy to nature and it gives no sufficient notion of the variety of character involved in the uneventful quiet action anne's arrogant and selfish father her cold-hearted selfish elder sister and her mean silly empty-headed younger sister with the simple kindly musgrove family form rather the witnesses than the persons of the drama which transacts itself with the connivance rather than the participation of sir walter's heir at law the clever depraved and unscrupulous cousin william walter elliot
lady russell the ill-advised adviser of the broken engagement the low-born manoeuvring mrs clay who all but captures the unwary sir walter the frank warm-hearted admiral crofts and his wife and the whole sympathetic naval contingent at lyme regis they brighten the reality of the picture and form its atmosphere they could not be spared and yet with the exception of louisa musgrove who jumps from the sea-wall at regis and by her happy accident brings about the final understanding of the lovers none of them actively contributes to the event which for the most part accomplishes itself subjectively through the nature of anne and wentworth of the two anne is by far the more interesting and important personage her story is distinctly the story of a heroine yet never was there a heroine so little self-assertive so far from forth-putting when the book opens we find her neglected and contemned by her father and elder sister and sunken passively if not willingly into mere aunthood to her younger sister's children with no friend who feels her value but that lady russell who has helped her to spoil her life she goes to pay a long visit to her sister as soon as kellynch hall is taken by the croftses and it is in a characteristic moment of her usefulness there that wentworth happens upon her after their first cold and distant meeting before others the mother as usual had left a sick child to anne's care when captain wentworth walked into the drawing-room at the cottage where were only herself and the little invalid charles who was lying on the sofa he started and could only say i thought the miss musgroves had been here mrs musgrove told me i should find them here before he walked to the window to recollect himself and feel how he ought to behave they are upstairs with my sister they will be down in a few minutes i dare say had been anne's reply in all the confusion that was natural and if the child had not called to her to come and do something for him she would have been out of the room the next moment and released captain wentworth as well as herself he continued at the window and after calmly and politely saying i hope the little boy is better was silent she was obliged to kneel by the sofa and remain there to satisfy her patient and thus they continued a few minutes when to her very great satisfaction she heard some other person crossing the vestibule it proved to be charles hayter who supposes wentworth to be his rival for one of the miss musgroves he seats himself and takes up a newspaper ignoring wentworth's willingness to talk another minute brought another addition the younger boy a remarkably stout forward child of two years old having got the door opened made his determined appearance among them and went straight to the sofa to see what was going on and put in his claim to anything good that might be given away there being nothing to eat he could only have some play and as his aunt would not let him tease his sick brother he began to fasten himself upon her as she knelt in a way that busy as she was about charles she could not shake him off she spoke to him ordered insisted and entreated in vain 
once she did contrive to push him away but the boy had the greater pleasure in getting upon her back again directly walter said she get down this moment you are extremely troublesome i am very angry with you walter cried charles hayter why do you not do as you are bid come to me walter but not a bit did walter stir in another moment she found herself in the state of being released from him some one was taking him from her though he had bent down her head so much that his sturdy little hands were unfastened from around her neck and he was resolutely borne away before she knew that captain wentworth had done it she could not even thank him she could only hang over little charles with most disordered feelings with the conviction soon forced upon her by the noise he was studiously making with the child that he meant to avoid hearing her thanks till enabled by the entrance of mary and the miss musgroves to make over her patient to their care and leave the room she could not stay she was ashamed of herself quite ashamed of being so nervous and of being overcome by such a trifle but so it was and it required a long application of solitude and reflection to recover her three as any practised reader of fiction could easily demonstrate this is not the sort of rescue to bring about a reconciliation between lovers in a true novel there it must be something more formidable than a naughty little boy that the heroine is saved from it must be a deadly miscreant or a mad bull or a frightened horse or an express train or a sinking ship still it cannot be denied that this simple this homely scene is very pretty and is very like things that happen in life where there is reason to think love is oftener shown in quality than quantity and does its effect as perfectly in the little as in the great events even the most tremendous incident of the book the famous passage which made tennyson when he visited lyme regis wish to see first of all the place where louisa musgrove fell from the cob has hardly heroic proportions though it is of greater intensity in its lifelikeness and it reverses the relations of anne and wentworth in the characters of helper and helped there was too much wind to make the high part of the new cob pleasant for the ladies and they agreed to get down the steps to the lower and all were contented to pass quietly and safely down the steep steps excepting louisa she must be jumped down them by captain wentworth she was safely down and instantly to show her enjoyment ran up the steps to be jumped down again he advised her against it thought the jar too great but no he reasoned and talked in vain she smiled and said i am determined i will he put out his hands she was too precipitate by half a second she fell on the pavement on the lower cob and was taken up lifeless there was no wound no visible bruise but her eyes were closed she breathed not her face was like death captain wentworth who had caught her up knelt with her in his arms looking on her with a face as pallid as her own in an agony of silence she is dead screamed mary catching hold of her husband and contributing with her own horror to make him immovable and in the same moment 
henrietta sinking under the conviction lost her senses too and would have fallen on the steps but for captain benwick and anne who supported her between them is there no one to help me were the first words that burst from captain wentworth go to him go to him cried anne for heaven's sake go to him leave me and go to him rubber hands rubber temples here are salts take them take them louisa was raised up and supported between them everything was done that anne had prompted but in vain while captain wentworth staggering against the wall for his support exclaimed in the bitterest agony o oh god her father and mother a surgeon said anne he caught at the word it seemed to rouse him at once and saying only true true a surgeon this instant anne attending with all the strength and zeal and thought which instinct supplied to henrietta still tried at intervals to suggest comfort to the others tried to quiet mary to animate charles to assuage the feelings of captain wentworth both seemed to look to her for direction anne anne cried charles what in heaven's name is to be done next captain wentworth's eyes were also turned toward her had she not better be carried to the inn yes i am sure carry her to the inn yes yes to the inn repeated wentworth i will carry her myself anne has to show with all this presence of mind a greatness of mind superior to the misery of imagining that wentworth is in love with louise and that his impassioned remorse is an expression of his love only when they are going home together to tell louise's parents of the accident does she make one meek little tacit reflection in her own behalf don't talk of it don't talk of it he cried oh god that i had not given way to her at that fatal moment had i done as i ought but so eager and so resolute dear sweet louisa anne wondered whether it ever occurred to him now to question the justness of his own previous opinion as to the universal felicity and advantage of firmness of character she thought it could scarcely escape him to feel that a persuadable temper might sometimes be as much in favour of happiness as a very resolute character for one of the things that jane austen was first in was the personal description of her heroines almost to her time the appearance of the different characters was left to the reader's imagination it is only in the modern novel that the author seems to feel it his duty to tell how his people look we have seen how meagerly and formerly the heroines of the vicar of wakefield are presented in sir charles grandison there is a great pretence of describing the beauty of harriet byron but the image given is vague and conventional so far as i recall them the looks of fanny burney's and maria edgeworth's heroines are left to the reader's liking and i do not remember any portrait even of elizabeth bennet in pride and prejudice it is in her later stories that jane austen offers this proof of modernity among so many other proofs of it and tells us how her girls appeared to her she tells us not very elaborately to be sure though in the case of emma woodhouse in emma the picture is quite finished in persuasion anne elliot is slightly sketched and we must be content with the fact that she had mild dark eyes and delicate features and that at the time we are introduced to her she fully looked her twenty-seven years but this is a good deal better than nothing and in northanger abbey 
catherine morland is still more tangibly presented the morlands were in general very plain and catherine was for many years of her life as plain as any she had a thin awkward figure a sallow skin without colour dark lank hair and strong features at fifteen appearances were mending her complexion improved her features were softened by plumpness and colour her eyes gained more animation and her figure more consequence at seventeen when we make her acquaintance her manners were just removed from the awkwardness and shyness of a girl her person pleasing and when in good looks pretty these particulars are from that delightful first chapter where the character as well as the person of the heroine is studied with the playful irony in which the whole story is conceived from the beginning we know that it is a comedy the author has in hand and we lose sight of her obvious purpose of satirizing the radcliffe school of romance in our delight with the character of the heroine and her adventures in bath and at northanger abbey catherine morland is a goose but a very engaging goose and a goose you must respect for her sincerity her high principles her generous trust of others and her patience under trials that would be great for much stronger heads it is no wonder that the accomplished henry tilney falls in love with her when he finds that she is already a little in love with him and when his father brutally sends her home from the abbey where he has pressed her to visit his daughter on the belief that she is rich and will be a good match for his son it is no wonder that tilney follows her and offers himself to her she prevails by her innocence and sweetness and in spite of her romantic folly she has so much good heart that it serves her in place of good sense five the chapters of the story relating to catherine's stay at the abbey are rather perfunctorily devoted to burlesquing romantic fiction in accordance with the author's original design and they have not the easy charm of the scenes at bath where catherine as the guest of mrs allen meets henry tilney at a public ball mrs allen was one of that numerous class of females whose society can raise no other emotion than surprise at there being any men in the world who could like them well enough to marry them the air of a gentlewoman a great deal of quiet inactive good temper and a trifling turn of mind were all that could account for her being the choice of a sensible intelligent man like mr allen in one respect she was admirably fitted to introduce a young lady into public being as fond of going everywhere and seeing everything herself as any young lady could but at the first ball she knows nobody and she can only say to catherine from time to time i wish we had a large acquaintance here but at their next appearance in the lower rooms how much the words say to the reader of old-fashioned fiction the master of ceremonies introduces a partner to catherine his name was tilney he seemed to be about four or five and twenty was rather tall had a pleasing countenance a very lively and intelligent eye and if not quite handsome was very near it when they were seated at tea she found him as agreeable as she had already given him credit for being after chatting for some time on such matters as naturally arose from the objects around them he suddenly addressed her with i have hitherto been very remiss madame in the proper attentions of a partner here 
i have not yet asked you how long you have been in bath whether you were ever here before whether you have been at the upper rooms the theatre and the concert and how you like the place altogether i have been very negligent but are you now at leisure to satisfy me in these particulars if you are i will begin directly you need not give yourself that trouble sir no trouble i assure you madame then forming his features in a soft smile and affectedly softening his voice he added with a simpering air have you been long in bath madame about a week sir replied catherine trying not to laugh really with affected astonishment why should you be surprised sir why indeed said he in his natural tone but some emotion must appear to be raised by your reply and surprise is more easily assumed and not less reasonable than any other now let us go on were you ever here before madame never sir indeed have you yet honoured the upper rooms yes sir i was there last monday have you been to the theatre yes sir i was at the play on tuesday to the concert yes sir on wednesday and you are altogether pleased with bath yes i like it very well now i must give one more smirk and then we may be rational again catherine turned away her head not knowing whether she ought venture to laugh i see what you think of me said he gravely i shall make but a poor figure in your journal to-morrow i know exactly what you will say friday went to the lower rooms wore my sprigged muslin robe with blue trimmings playing black shoes appeared to much advantage but was strangely harassed by a queer half-witted man who would make me dance with him and distressed me by his nonsense indeed i shall say no such thing shall i tell you what you ought to say if you please i danced with a very agreeable young man had a good deal of conversation with him seems a most extraordinary genius hope i may know more of him that madame is what i wish you to say but perhaps i keep no journal perhaps you are not sitting in this room and i am not sitting beside you it is plain from the beginning what must be catherine's fate with a young man who can laugh at her so caressingly and what must be his with a girl so helplessly transparent to his eyes henry tilney is as good as he is subtle and he knows how to value her wholesome honesty aright but all her friends are not witty young clergymen and one of them is as little like him in appreciation of catherine's rare nature as she is like catherine in the qualities which take him this is putting it rather too severely if it conveys the reproach of wilful bad faith in the case of isabella thorpe who becomes the bosom friend of catherine at a moment's notice and the betrothed of catherine's brother with very little more delay she is simply what she was born a self-centred jilt in every motion of her being and not to be blamed for fulfilling the jilt's function in a world where she is divined in almost her modern importance in this character the author forecasts the supremacy of a type which had scarcely been recognized before but which has since played so dominant a part in fiction and as with the several types of snobs proves herself not only artist but prophet isabella is not of the lineage of the high and mighty flirts the dark and deadly flirts who deal destruction round among the hearts of men she is what was known in her time as a rattle her tongue runs while her eyes fly and her charms are perpetually alert for admiration she is involved in an incessant drama of fictitious occurrences she is as romantic in her own way as catherine is in hers she peoples an unreal world with conquests 
while catherine dwells in the devotion of one true if quite imaginary lover as catherine cannot make anything of such a character she decides to love and believe in her utterly and she cannot well do more after isabella becomes engaged to her brother james and declares that she is going to withdraw from the world in his absence and vows that though she may go to the assembly she will do it merely because catherine asks it but do not insist upon my being very agreeable for my heart you know will be forty miles off and as for dancing do not mention it i beg that is quite out of the question catherine takes her friend so literally that when tilney asks her in behalf of his handsome brother the question whether miss thorpe would have any objection to dancing your brother will not mind it i know said she because i heard him say before that he hated dancing but it was very good-natured of him to think of it i suppose he saw isabella sitting down and fancied she might wish for a partner but she would not dance on any account in the world henry smiled and said how very little trouble it can give you to understand the motive of other people's actions why what do you mean i only meant that your attributing my brother's wish of dancing with miss thorpe to good nature convinced me of your being superior in good nature yourself to all the rest of the world catherine blushed and disclaimed she drew back for some time forgetting to speak or to listen till roused by the voice of isabella she looked up and saw her with captain tilney preparing to give their hands across isabella shrugged her shoulders and smiled the only explanation of this extraordinary change which could at that time be given catherine spoke her astonishment in very plain terms to her partner i cannot think how it could happen isabella was so determined not to dance and did isabella never change her mind before oh but because and your brother after what you told him from me how could he think of going to ask her the fairness of your friend was an open attraction her firmness you know could only be understood by yourself you are laughing but i assure you isabella is very firm in general the friends were not able to get together till after the dancing was over but then as they walked about the room arm in arm isabella thus explained herself i do not wonder at your surprise and i am really fatigued to death i would have given the world to sit still then why did you not oh my dear it would have looked so particular and you know how i abhor doing that you have no idea how he pressed me i found there would be no peace if i did not stand up besides i thought mrs hughes who introduced him might take it ill if i did and your dear brother i am sure would have been miserable if i had sat down the whole evening my spirits are quite jaded listening to his nonsense and then being such a smart young fellow i saw every eye was upon us he is very handsome indeed handsome yes i suppose he may but he is not at all in my style of beauty i hate a florid complexion and dark eyes in a man however he is very well amazingly conceited i am sure i took him down several times you know in my way the born jilt the jilt so natured that the part she perpetually plays is as unconscious with her as the circulation of the blood has never been more perfectly presented than in isabella thorpe in whom she was first presented and her whole family so thoroughly false that they live in an atmosphere of lies are miracles of art the soft kindly really well-meaning mother is as great a liar as her hollow-hearted hollow-headed daughter or her braggart son who babbles blasphemous falsehoods because they are his native speech with only the purpose of a momentary effect and hardly the hope or wish of deceit 
his pursuit of the trusting catherine who desires to believe in him as the friend of her brother is the farcical element of the pretty comedy the farce darkens into as much tragedy as the scheme will suffer when general tilney a liar in his own way is taken in by john thorpe's talk and believes her very rich but it all brightens into the sweetest and loveliest comedy again when henry tilney follows her home from his father's house and the cheerful scene is not again eclipsed till the curtain goes down upon her radiant happiness End of section five.